Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our children to junior church hour. I don't know if Brother Cody was... I didn't put it on the schedule today, which never really matters anyway, having a schedule up here. But anyway, let's stand, young people. We'll have a word of prayer with you, and uh, we'll dismiss you to your junior church hour. For the rest of us, let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for all that you've done and what you will do in the lives of these children if they would just listen and obey the word of God. Be with our teachers, fill them with the Spirit, and use them today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed, young people. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 this morning. And, and as you know, I've been studying through the book of Mark along with the Matthew and Luke, the synoptic gospels. And the Lord just seems to give message after message from the book. And so we're going to look today at Mark chapter 8. And could I encourage you in a couple areas this morning? Number one, I look around, I see several folks who are our guests this morning, and I want you to make them feel welcome. And it's good to see several people uh, here visiting from out of town. I guess holiday weekend, and some are visiting family, others are camping and such. And so, would you make them feel welcome today? It's good even to have some visitors here that are named Fury. What do you think? Did you feel a disturbance in the force? And uh, let me tell you this, it thrills me when I find another Fury who knows the Lord. Because there's not many, are there, uh, that go to church, uh, Floyd and Gina back there, and uh, they go to another Baptist church, and so there's not a whole lot of Furies that know the Lord. So I'm always thrilled when I meet somebody that's faithful to their house of God, to their church, and they're on vacation this week, and so they popped in to visit with us. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to move very quickly this morning. We're a little bit later than normal. If you're visiting with us today, I, I want you to know that we normally sing a whole lot more, uh, but I want you to hear from Daniel. I wanted to hear from Daniel and sing and play, and so we, we added that in, and so our time's a little bit gone this morning, but let's, let's look at Mark chapter 8, and I will move as quickly as I can. I'm thrilled today to have a couple more baptisms at the end of service, and so you pray for these young people, as I'm sure they're nervous about making their public profession, but what a thrill to see more young people accept Christ as Savior and uh, follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Mark chapter 8. Oh, the other, I said I was going to encourage you in two things. The other thing I would like to encourage you in is, uh, if at all possible, would you come out tonight? I know it's a holiday weekend, but at five o'clock, the Lord has laid a message on my heart that I, I believe it's important for our day and age. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hate the idea of that we have to preach this stuff. I really do. Uh, I've entitled the message, Woke Christianity. Woke, how do you know what the word woke means? How many of you just woke up? It doesn't mean that, apparently, and uh, it's one of these young person's terms, but it has to do with being keenly aware of, of tensions among race and different types of people, and so we're going to look at that this evening just a little bit, and you understand the world is always going to get worse and worse. The Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse. The Bible gives us a, a wide uh, prophecy about the end times and what it's going to look like, but here's the sad thing, the church shouldn't look like that. And we're seeing that today in a lot of areas, accepting things that we, uh, 20 years ago, even in an unchristian area or nation or people, would never even entertain the thought. But now it's being entertained in churches. And, and so I, I don't even think I can scratch the surface tonight, but I'd like to just uh, give you a little idea of where we stand on things as a church and what we believe uh, according to the Word of God, okay? Mark chapter 8. So pray for me. I'd appreciate that. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, 
because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. Let me just pause for a moment and ask you a question if I could. What do you suppose this story is about? Where do you think this is going? If you were to title this message today, what would you call it? Typically, we would read this and say, well, it's the feeding of the 5,000. But it's not. Later on, the Lord Jesus Christ would feed another 4,000 people. And yet the disciples asked that same question, how can a man satisfy these? And yet they'd already seen the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's amazing sometimes how stubborn we can be in our faith and not realize that God has already done this before. God has already performed and behaved in a certain way and we can trust him going forward knowing that, that he has the ability to take care of his children. And yet it was lost on them. And in verse 6 it says, And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came to the parts of Delmanutha. And the disciples, the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, and here's the title of our message this morning How is it that ye do not understand? How is it? that ye do not understand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us with it. Speak to our hearts and Lord, that we know that that will only happen if the Holy Spirit of God takes hold of it and teaches, it to, teaches the word to us today. So Lord, I surrender to you and ask to be filled and I pray that you'd use your spirit to help each one of us. Well, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Often when I study the word of God, I will outlined in my office in a very specific way. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. And I'd like to explain that just a little bit by way of introduction. When I, when I write out my lessons or my message, or even just in Bible reading, I, I don't read the Bible very well unless I have a pen and paper with me. 
And so sometimes if I'm traveling or whatever, I'm always going to a dollar store and getting a notepad so that I can make notes of what I'm reading. And I, I like to write down just simply the interpretation. What does the scripture say? In plain, literal sense. I, I try not to. I'm not perfect. I'm human. But I, I try not to read anything into it. I just try to take what the Lord says and, and say, what is it saying? What is the Lord saying? How is he interacting with his disciples? What is the context? And what is going on in this passage? And so I write out the interpretation. And then after that, I, I try to take the application. How does this apply to me specifically? What are some principles that I can draw from this and apply it to my life? And so often when we preach, we preach the application. The interpretation is the study that a pastor will do in his office. And then the application is what he will teach from the pulpit. And sometimes with, with, with all preaching, there's a little bit of teaching. And with all teaching, there's a little bit of preaching. But that's kind of the breakdown, if you will. A lot of times when we teach maybe a Wednesday night through the book of the Bible or what have you, we're simply giving it the interpretation, which is small application. But in a preaching service, we're often laying aside the interpretation. That is our personal study and trying to give you the application of God's word. We understand that when we take the word of God word for word in a literal sense and we apply it to our lives, it is life-changing. The word of God, the Bible says, is quick and powerful. It has the power to change our lives if we'll so allow it. So this morning, I want to give you a message with just two points. Number one, I'm going to give you interpretation. And number two, I'm going to give you application. Interpretation and application. So I'm going to teach through the passage very quickly. And then I want to give you some application that ends with this question. How is it that you do not understand? Look what the Bible says in verse 1, and we'll break it down into some parts here this morning. And as we look at this idea of interpreting the Scripture, notice in verse 1 through 4, I've entitled this, The Doubters. In verses 1 through 4, we see the doubters in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? It's one thing to have a concern in your heart or to doubt in your mind, but to express those doubts openly to the Word made flesh, to God standing before you in the form of Jesus Christ is totally another. After they've already seen him calm the storms and walk on the water and feed 5,000 in a very similar manner as he's about to do, they're showing their concern of their hearts about this next miracle. How will this take place? And so we see very plainly the disciples were doubters. As we look at these few verses, I want you to notice that this feeding of the 4,000 was right on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. Not much time has passed. As a matter of fact, we are in Mark chapter 8, and the feeding of the 5,000 took place in Mark chapter 6. Only a short time has passed, and yet the disciples are already forgetting the very power of God over this situation. But I want you to look as we notice these doubters today. I want you to all just notice, notice Jesus Christ with me. In verse 2, we see something. I have compassion. We see his motive. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ want to work in this instance? Because he had compassion. 
I have compassion on the mall. How many of you are thankful for his compassion today? You know, a lot of times in the word of God, we see times, and I'm just going to be frank with you, that Jesus chose not to work. You'll remember that there was one lying by the pool of Bethesda and the Lord Jesus Christ had to walk past many people who were lame and sick and blind and he chose that one to help that day. He had compassion upon that one. That doesn't mean he didn't love the others. Compassion does not always mean healing. It means that Jesus will do what's best for us. And in that case, we don't know why Jesus chose not to heal the others, but perhaps there was something that would be better for them if they endured just a little bit longer. But in this case, the Lord had compassion and his heart went out. How many of you get that little tear in your eye and that catch in your throat when you see a missionary video? And we see a missionary come and they show the the little sad faces of the children on a foreign field and, and they're hungry and they're deprived of the gospel and there's no Bible preaching church in their area and the missionary is trying to, to tug upon our hearts and the Bible says this, mine eye hath affected my heart. And so by what we see in a video perhaps helps us understand the need in a foreign country and every once in a while we're, we're like, I want to go there. I wish I could go and help, and I wish I had more money to give, and I wish there was something I could do. I feel like that's what the Lord Jesus is doing here. He sees the multitude, and he has compassion, but here's the good news. He can do it. When the disciples said, can a man satisfy all these in this wilderness, Jesus is the only one that could raise his hand and says, I can. His motive was compassion, and the multitude, notice in verse 2, have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. We notice the motive and we notice the multitude. Isn't it good to know that this multitude, the Bible says this, very. listen, don't miss this, have been with me. Jesus takes care of his own. I like that. Nobody else is going to get a blessing? I'm going to get a blessing from that. Is that okay? Jesus takes care of his own. They were following him, They have been with me, and because of it, I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to love on those that love me. I'm going to take care of those that have followed me. They've left their home, and they've left their friends, and they've left their family, and and they don't even have any food with them, but they've come all this way to sit at my feet and to be ministered to and to be helped. And because of that, simply because they're mine, I'm going to take care of them. Boy, if if you leave here today with nothing else, just, just wrap your arms around yourself and hug and say, I'm going to be taken care of because I belong to him. Period. So we see the, the mode of his compassion and we see the multitude, but we also see the misgivings in verse 4. And that's where we come to the doubters. His disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? They had seen it all before and yet they still doubted Christ's abilities. Well, I want you to move on to verse 5 with me this morning, and we'll see, secondly, the demonstration. We're just talking about the interpretation right now. We'll get you some application in a moment, but notice verses 1 through 4, we see the doubters, and in verse 5 through 10, we see a demonstration. Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. I always wondered why that mattered. Doesn't matter how many loaves they have. If Jesus could take five and feed 5,000, doesn't matter if we have one or if we have 50. Doesn't really matter. I believe this with all my heart. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted the disciples to know how few they had because he was about to do a great thing. 
He says, how many loaves have ye? They said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples and set before them, and they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before the people, so they did eat and were fulfilled. And they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, and straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. The demonstration. We see a familiar story, don't we? I stopped you after verse 5 and I asked you, what do you you think the Bible is talking about? And and probably if I were to take a show of hands, some of you would have to admit, well, we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000. But we're not. It's the feeding of the 4,000. And with the small amount of detail I gave you, I could see how you'd be confused and maybe label it wrong because we're so familiar with that story of the five loaves and the two fishes. But the Lord Jesus Christ is doing it again. And the disciples are still doubting. What a, what a feeble and frail people we really are, aren't we? Let me, let me ask you, how many of you here can testify? And let's go ahead and raise our hands. How many of you can testify that the Lord has been very good to you? Now put your hand down. Don't raise it this time. How many of you still worry the next time a trouble comes along? That's what the disciples basically are doing, isn't it? Who is this man? How can a man satisfy so many? And so we see the demonstration is a familiar story, but I want you to know we have a faithful Savior. He's a God that changes not. And if he looks upon a multitude of people and says, I have compassion upon the multitudes, let's feed them, you can know it's going to take place. We are reminded from the scripture a few things that that remind us of this very similar story. And we can make personal application. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. My Bible says that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet we worry and we strive. Jesus Christ has told us on the Sermon on the Mount that he points us to the lilies. And he says, look how, how they spin or toil not. And yet they are majestic in their splendor because God hath clothed them. And he says, he will also clothe you. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? About 25 cents. He says... And yet not one of them falls from the nest without the Lord knowing about it. And yet he cares for you so much more. We worry and we fret. And we have a God, a faithful Savior, who knows our every need. So we see the doubters. We see the demonstration. Look at verse 11. The detractors and the Pharisees. Boy, detractors is a good name for that group, isn't it? And the Pharisees. Whenever they're around, you know they're about to cause trouble. The Bible says, And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. I want you to notice about these detractors. First of all, they tested him. The Bible says they questioned him. They begin to ask, how how is this possible? They want to see a sign from heaven after 4,000 have been fed with just seven loaves. It's amazing to me that for a Pharisee, Jesus is never enough. Isn't that what we're seeing in Scripture? Seven loaves. How many do you have? Seven. 
Well, that'll be enough. What, how is that enough to satisfy this multitude? Because I'm Jesus. I am the bread of life. This is nothing. And the Pharisees on the heels of that still come to Jesus and say, what else can you show us? I need a sign. Can you maybe do a miracle? Where have you been? So many of us lose our gratitude for the Lord because it's, what have you done for me lately? I haven't heard from the Lord in a while. I haven't had a move in my heart. I haven't seen him supply for this current need that I have, even though he's been so good to us in all of our lives. We lose track of what he has done. So we see the detractors, they tested him, and the Bible says they tempted him. In verse 11, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. You ever wondered what it means to tempt the Lord? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You remember Jesus in the wilderness? He quoted that very verse when the devil was trying to give him the kingdoms of the world. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. By the way, that's a claim of deity. He was referring to himself. To tempt the Lord Jesus Christ is to try to get Jesus to act against the will of his Father. Think about that. Satan was going to give him the kingdoms of the world, and Jesus will one day have the kingdoms of this world. Amen? But his time had not yet come. And he says to Satan, you cannot tempt the Lord your God. I am not going to step out of the will of my Father. I'm not going to disobey God's plan for my life. I'm going to set my mind to the cross of Calvary. And there I will shed my blood. But don't try to tempt me. Don't try to get me to swerve off God's will for my life. And we know that the Lord carried out the will of the Father perfectly. But here the Pharisees were trying to tempt him. And they said, well, didn't he do miracles anyway? He was never doing circus tricks. He was never going about doing miracles just to, 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 to impress people or to, to, to get people to ooh and awe at him. We see he did this miracle because he had compassion. There was a reason. There was other times that he did miracles to prove his deity, to show that he was God in the flesh. But it wasn't some cheap parlor trick, some ma magician's trick, some circus act. So they were trying to turn him into something he wasn't. And thus, they tempted him. I told you I'd save the application for later, but can I give you one very quickly? Please be careful not to tempt the Lord in your prayers. We often tell the Lord the answer to our prayer, don't we? Lord, I have a financial need if you'll just send me $300. The Lord says, oh, I want to give you 1000 But if you only want 300 and we tempt the Lord because he has a will for your life. He has a purpose. We just, need to, we just need to surrender to his will. The Bible says we ask and we have not because we seek to consume it on our own less. In the book of James. Are we praying according to his will? Are we surrendered to him? Are we, we content with his answer when he says no? Let's not tempt the Lord. So we see the detractors. The doubters, the demonstration, the detractors... 
But all of this shows the, the idea that they were testing him and tempting him is that they never trusted him. They never trusted. Look at verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Can you sense his frustration? The disciples saw and they had little faith. The Pharisees heard and had no faith. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. The Lord was discouraged in disappointment. Then we see the disappointment in verse 13. And he left them and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. If seven loaves can feed 4,000 and five loaves can feed 5,000, the one loaf they did have could feed a dozen. But somehow they missed that. The Lord began to give them a warning to be aware of the Pharisee, the, uh, of the, uh, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, they said, it's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto him, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, yet neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up, and they say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up, and they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Can you sense the Lord's disappointment? As the Lord steps into the boat after the feeding of the 4,000, the interaction with the Pharisees, he takes the opportunity just to teach them something. I call it a faithful precaution. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. I don't believe it had anything to do with the feeding of the 4,000. I don't believe it had anything to do with anything except the Pharisees had just spoke to Jesus and he was warning his disciples, be careful of these guys. Watch out for them. Leaven, and we know a little leaven can leaven it the whole lump. Leaven in the, in the Old Testament was a picture of sin. A woman would sweep out all the leaven of her house and they would bake all their bread and their cakes before the Passover so that all the leaven was gone. As we approach the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we see this faithful precaution. It had nothing to do with their forgetfulness. It wasn't about them forgetting uh, the loaves or bread or anything to come for food on that boat. He was just disappointed because they were missing it. Their eyes were on the temporal, and Jesus was speaking of the spiritual. And then we see a faithless people in verse 16. They reasoned among themselves, and Jesus rebuked them. Why reason ye? Because you have no bread. Perceive ye not, neither understand. Have your heart yet hardened? I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. I mentioned last Sunday, a lot of times when we enter into a, a trial or a, a problem in our lives, we are very horizontal. We look at everything all around us. But we have the privilege as the children of God to also see vertically. We can look under the hills from whence cometh our help. We can look to the Lord of Zion. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and, and ask for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can always look vertically to our Savior, but we're so fixed down here that sometimes we forget. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing 
They were a faithless people. In verse 19 and verse 20, they were worried because they had no loaves. And Jesus says, it's not about that. But since you brought it up, (laughs) since you broke the subject, let me remind you, when I broke five loaves, how many did I feed? And when I broke seven loaves, how many did I feed? Why are you even worried for a second about having bread on this ship? They completely missed the spiritual because they were focused on the physical. That's the interpretation of the passage. Now in the next couple minutes that I have left, let me give you the applications. Notice verse 21. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? How is it that you do not understand? Listen, I'm not here to browbeat or accuse anybody of anything. But this I know. Every single time I worry, it's because I have somehow forgotten what the Lord has already done for me. I've forgotten how faithful he's been. I've forgotten the principles of Scripture. There's times where I feel alone and I've forgotten that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I get into a financial struggle and there's a bill to be paid and, and, I, and I wonder where's that going to come from and I forget that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he'll supply all my need according to his riches and glory. The last little while we, uh, in, in January, we had some very kind folks from the church uh, do some work on our house while we were in North Carolina preaching. We came home to a big surprise and that motivated us and said, well, I guess we should finish out the rest and so we our bedrooms and things needed to be done and we hadn't painted or anything and and so we've been there 13 years and we just hadn't had the time to do anything it was time and uh, so we went ahead and and how many of you know that four teenage kids will wreck a house you know so they're all gone and so we said let's clean it up and so we got working and it took us a couple months just a couple hours here a couple hours there it took us a couple months to get all we slept in the living room a lot of nights just because that's the only place would fit a bed and we did all that and we put up trim, and we did all kinds of things. And, and I had this nail gun. Brother Kevin let me use his nail gun. And I was putting up trim all over the house, windows, doors, baseboard. I must have driven a 1,000 nails with that gun. I had to go buy another pack, and I, I must have driven a 1,000 nails. The very last nail I put in the wall, I hit a gas line. Wouldn't you know it? I, 999, I didn't hit a thing. But for some reason, they had this gas line going up to my attic, and I went through the wall, and I hit it. And it didn't do anything right away, but we started to smell gas in the house. And so I had to call for help, and, and uh, uh, McDonald's come over, or gas fitter, and he fixed it for me. And Chris Laddie, uh, one of Brother Judge's men, came over and helped me find it. And then, and then we called Chris McDonald, and I, th- I said to my wife, oh, man, what's this going to cost us? How long was that gas running like that? Unfortunately, it was only about an extra $50 in gas. And, uh, but then I, I got this gas bill from the company, and I went, oh, man. Well, praise the Lord, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You call a tradesman during an emergency and different things like that at off hours and all the rest, and I was like, oh, man. But then I look back and I go, why did I go, oh, man? Why was I even worried a little bit? Brother Judge reminded me, he says, well, at least you still got a house. Well, praise the Lord. I said, my wife, wouldn't have been ashamed to do all that work for those three months. I mean, we could hardly walk some nights. We were so tired and hurting. I'm getting old, okay? And just all the squatting and turning and twisting, and, and we were going to bed sore a lot of nights. Wouldn't have been ashamed to burn that place down the first day we got to enjoy it. 
But I look back on that and I say, why was I so worried? Why, why am I concerned about that? I used to pray with our youth pastor in Hamilton and we were talking about the church was growing and how are we going to do this? We need to, we need to renovate that area of the church. We need to expand. We need more, more seating and what are we going to do? And, and uh, he, he just said to me, look at me and say, Pastor, my father's got lots of money. Don't worry about it. Just that simple, that plain. Just walk in faith. How is it that you do not understand? He tells us why. Four things very quickly. Look at verse 17. Why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not, yet neither understand. Perceive ye not, neither understand. One of the reasons we don't understand is because of a lack of faith. A lack of faith. Jesus is saying, why are you worried about bread? Didn't you see what I could do with five loaves and seven loaves? I mean, haven't I driven that point home more than almost any other? I have fed 9,000 people with 12 little barley loaves. I mean, I only walked on water once, but I've done this twice. 9,000 people have witnessed it. Why are you worried about bread? Why don't you understand? Because you lack faith. You're so busy looking at the temporal, you can't see the spiritual. That's the same reason I fretted over a gas bill. I worried about a repair job. Today, you, you take your car to a mechanic and you say, oh man, I don't want to see that bill. I'm kind of with you there too, I understand. It's one thing to be concerned, but don't worry. Trust the Lord. They lacked faith. Number two, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to move very quickly. They had a hardened heart. Notice what it says in verse 17. Why reason ye because you have no bread, perceive ye not, neither understand? Have your heart yet hardened? Boy, that happened quickly, didn't it? He just fed 5,000. Now their hearts are already hard and they can't understand how he's going to feed 4,000. The hardened heart in the Bible is often just simply a refusal to believe. I can't accept it. My eyes have seen it and my ears have heard it, but I still can't accept it. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 explains the end times and it, we'll talk about this passage tonight, but consider these words, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. I think we could all name somebody tonight that we, or this morning, that we have introduced to the Lord. They've come to church. They've heard the gospel message, and, and yet their heart is hardened because they refuse to believe. Brother Kevin was just asking me last night. He says, he's reading through Mark a bit, too. And he says, listen, he says, I'm reading here. And he says, these disciples, he says, every time the Lord does a miracle, they just they don't believe. Or they have a hard heart. The hardened heart is literally a refusal I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to grasp it. How many of you today are a little bit slow on making decisions? I am too. I'm cautious. I want all the information. I want the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs. I want to read the manual. I want to know before I make that big purchase. And, and so I, I agonize over those things. Unfortunately, 
when it comes to the spiritual things, there has to be a point where we step out by faith. I can, I can explain the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to you. I'm not, I'm not saying that I have all knowledge or anything, but I could take the Bible and I could just keep teaching it and showing you, and at the end of it, you could say, well, that was all nice. But it's just a book of myths and fairy tales. It's just a textbook. It's a great piece of literature, and it talks about some good principles we should show in our lives. But listen, if, if it's not mixed with faith, you must believe by faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Here are these disciples following the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing with their very eyes, and yet they still could not believe. I believe eventually they did, except for Judas. But for now, they're struggling. A hardened heart, but then we see in verse 18, a refusal to acknowledge. Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember? They could see it, and they could hear it, but they'd rather explain it away somehow. Isn't that what happened at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's put some guards around there in case they take his body. Pilate and Herod would find a way to explain the resurrection rather than just acknowledging that Jesus Christ did what he said he would do and rise from the grave. And that's often how we, how we explain things that happen in our lives when God is working and moving and striving in our hearts and we try to explain it away. We see it and we don't believe and we hear it and we don't acknowledge it. You see, what is that I need to do? We need to surrender. Lord, what is it you're saying? Years ago at a youth conference, it was a, a winter weekend when I was a teenager, the only thing I remember about the youth conference is the, the preacher preached from the life of Samuel. And he, he said, he, he taught us, he says, here's a great Bible principle. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You remember Samuel came to Eli three times that night and, and said, you call me, Master. And it was the voice of the Lord calling, but he did not yet know the Lord. He did not recognize his voice. And finally, Eli said to Samuel, next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Could we make that a principle in our lives? The next time you hear the voice of God, say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Perhaps tonight when you come to church, you sit down in the pew and you open your Bible and you pray for the service and say, Lord, I'm here. Would you speak? I'm listening. It's a great way to tune our hearts and our ears to God. Then we see the last reason why they didn't understand was they simply had a problem remembering. Verse 18, having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember. You know what we forget so quickly? The things we're not thankful for. Show gratitude to the Lord when he works. I have told you before, years ago, we, we were looking for a van. We had three kids and we were in a car. And uh, they don't make cars today. This was an older car. It was in 1989. And, uh, but they don't make cars in the 80s like they did in the 70s. 70s had the big boats, big wide cars. And so literally we had three car seats in the back and we'd slam one door and the other door would pop open. And we'd run around and slam it and it'd pop open because they were just too narrow. So we'd finally have to kind of squeeze them both in. And I mean, those kids weren't going anywhere. They were crammed right in there. And so we began praying for a, a van. 
We needed a minivan. And one day Brendan said to me, Dad, he was about three years old, what color is that van going to be God's given us? I said, I don't know. But I said, God sure likes faith like that, so you just keep praying that way. He said, well, I think it's going to be a blue van. On Sunday morning, the next day, somebody in the church said, Pastor, my neighbor's got this van sitting in their yard. And he says, they bought a new van because they didn't think it would make the trip where they wanted to go, but it only has 100,000 kilometers on it. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I guess I'll have a look at it. Guess what color it was? It was a blue van. God could have done anything he wanted to do, but I think he wanted to show a boy what it means to have faith. God can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. What is it we don't understand? Here's the bottom line. Here's my final thought right here. We don't understand because we simply don't believe. But when we believe who God is, we can accept and trust and walk in faith because we know he'll take care of us. The Bible says we can call him Abba Father and we are to him his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us with it, we pray. Speak to our hearts and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.